Hey, hey, namaste, my fellow Marvelous Nerds. We are the Marvel Mythos Podcast. This is X-Men Blood Ties. We're going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men 305, 306, and then the Blood Ties event that stars the Avengers and X-Men crossing over. I am Brian Biley, your host. You can find me on Instagram at Marvel underscore Mythos and on Twitter at Marvel Mythos Pod. I am joined once again by my great friend, Zero Backfat, Travis Tubazing. You remembered again. It's going to be every time. Where can <laughs> I'm okay they, with that. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, at Wrestle Special on Twitter and The Wrestle Special on Instagram. Now, it has occurred to me that over the last, I don't know, dozen or so of these that we've done together that sure. I have only remembered maybe once or twice. Travis, what other things do you like to do in your spare time? Well, I do a wrestling and sometimes not wrestling podcast called The Wrestle Special. Uh, and I, it's kind of just my fun tagline to say it's not always a wrestling podcast because I take a different slant than the wrestling podcasts out there that recap the different events in the wrestling world or do fully retro reviews. Uh, it is something that you're going to have to listen to to get a full idea of what it is. And uh, all I can say is that it's weird. And if you like me on this show, maybe give it a try. Yep, I highly recommend uh, the Shawn Michaels on the Undertaker, and then the which uh, the heel one. Brian, so Brian just out. saying the episodes he's on, <laughs> but check check the episode, all the episodes out. They're all great. <laughs> all right, so we have quite a bit to talk about today. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Uncanny three hundred five. Iceman, Rogue, and Bishop learn that there are attackers near Opal's house. We haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. So they use her as bait and get the jump on the attackers. They explode into mush and goo upon moderate <laughs> impact, but they're able to subdue one of them. I'm not really sure how without destroying him too. Yeah. Rightly so. Opal is furious at Iceman for using her as bait. Later with the man tied to the chair in the Blackbird, Rogue touches him to get information about his leaders. She turns to loose skin and Bishop grabs her. This restores Rogue, and she learned that they were soft-skinned tissue stuffed in armor, but one word kept being repeated in its thoughts, Hodge. Elsewhere, Storm and Xavier are at a party of political leaders. They venture off to talk with St. Is it Croy? Croix? 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 I thought it was Croy. I always, Croy. Just, I always say Croy, but now I say like Croy just because of LaCroix. Yeah. that drink. So they venture off to talk with St. Croix, who has been helping Xavier for years. He calls out Xavier for this only being the second time that he's met him in person and asks if that means he is considering outing himself as a mutant. Finally, Xavier brushes it aside and gets the information telepathically that he needs. There's an exoskeleton suit capable of cloaking someone from Magneto's electromagnetic sphere of awareness, whatever Xavier asks storm to steal the schematics and destroy the suit. So it can be, cannot be duplicated by humans. She steals the information tells him never to ask her to steal again and refuses to destroy the suit. So it's interesting to me that this one released after X-Men 25 yet references X-Men 25 as coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So that confused me. Me too. But uh, this one and uh, 306 take place in between uncanny X-Men 304 and three or uh, X-Men 25. So that's why there's some back and forth with the stuff that happens in fatal attractions. But uh, yeah, so just so you're aware of that, as we talk about it, um, the rogue and Bishop stuff, weird. Yeah, it was weird. It's them kind of bonding was was different. And she was like, when you were mean to Gambit, I thought you were just a jerk. And yeah. I mean, it's weird to me that she would just base as smart as she's written. It's weird to me that she would base the wholeness of one person off of one interaction that he had with Gambit at the beginning, of, like when he first appeared as the time traveler. Yeah. So I guess she, 
I guess she just really cares about Gambit that much that it just really messed her up. But I mean, that was the time when he was just walking into Storm's room as if there were no doors and all that other stuff <laughs> yes, he was yeah. doing that was creepy. So maybe maybe she was taking the whole of what he was doing there. But what what was cool was I, I is this the first time that Shards mentioned? Uh, yes, to my knowledge, yes. Yeah, so it's cool to hear that, knowing who she is, being his sister or whatever. Yes. So I, I'm very anxious to see more of that, or if we even do see more of it in this line. Now, I really have to call out myself here, and I need to explain why I've been so hard on Cyclops and Gene, in some instances, questioning Xavier. Okay. Uh, because w- with Xavier wanting to her to go steal the schematics and do all this stuff, it really brings up a lot of uh, inner um, t- turmoil with Storm and like, well, I don't want to do this. And and she kind of pushes back on him initially and says, well, you, you can't compromise your ideals. Like, we're, we're stealing now. Mm-hmm. And I, I gave crap to Cyclops for not wanting to, to questioning Xavier in the, uh, the suicide mission from Fatal Attractions. And I, I have to, to apologize a little bit because I, I think it's less about Cyclops and, and him pushing back and more about the backstory that was given that framed Storm wanting to push back on Xavier. And it, I mean, it goes through her the first time she's meet meets Xavier and their entire backstory. And she kind of really puts him in his place. And, and that's where I was like, OK, this is much more powerful than Cyclops just being like, hey, I'm the, uh, don't do that. And I, I'm not telling you why, but just don't do that. Okay. Yeah. And so I actually was wondering how you were going to feel about the gene stuff that took place in X-Men 25 because of the, the stuff we get here with storm and with Quicksilver. It's like putting together this puzzle that we didn't see the full, the pull, the full puzzle. We only saw pieces of it. Yeah. And so I thought it was cool that we actually have more than just gene questioning Xavier and his decisions. So it's showing that Xavier is kind of like, spiraling into this point that he might not come back from last last x-men episode you were you know i always call you a cyclops apologist Uh, you were also a gene gray apologist because you're (laughs) like well she's been with him from the beginning and she's seen all this stuff you know if they simply framed that stuff and i know it's hard to do when you're hurtling through a spaceship and she's keeping wolverine together it's just hard for someone that may not have read everything in the x-men canon that you have yeah that to make a decision in that moment like well gene's just being crazy and how is she making this decision or how is she even giving xavier crap during this time where storm has all this great inner monologue when she's looking at the 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 suit she's saying get another example of man's boundless capacity for creation coupled by his fascination with destruction Mm. millions of dollars spent on destroying a single mutant while millions of their children go to bed hungry every night that was so powerful it really was yeah and and i think maybe maybe that's what labdell does well whereas maybe some of the other ones don't but i also think that it it's just the nature of having the big tie-in event where everything has to be rushed and you're pushing through and even though they were you know one and a half times the size of a normal issue there's still so much that's going on especially in 25 that it probably would have detracted from it and you've also got it being like the big 30th anniversary issue so they may almost let that be subtle or subtext so that you know, to the people who have been following it for a while. But what I did love on the podcast with you was you provided that perspective that I didn't have. Mm. So like you were able to say like, Hey, I haven't read the hundreds of X-Men comics that you have. So like for me, this was, this was ignorant of her. Whereas I was able to kind of bounce off my take. I wanted to own up to that, but like, and 
Jean explains herself too. It's not only do we get to hear it. She also explains herself to Xavier later saying, all I can say for certain is this at this moment in my life is that I refuse to allow you or anyone to drag me through the mud to shatter my belief that the X-Men are a force for good, ultimately for change. I will not allow the world to destroy us. And more importantly, what we stand for. I will fight for you. Someday I might die for you, but do not ever ask me again to steal for you, Professor Xavier. I am an X-Men. Yes, Storm delivered. That was amazing by Storm. What I also thought was great is that while she's doing that, like that's the culmination of this doubt that she's experiencing because now she's starting to question whether her first interaction with him was legit. Exactly. That's so like, how do you handle that? How do you, and then maybe even from her perspective, what you look at with uh, X-Men one through three of volume two, we had Moira McTaggart and Xavier purposely messing with Magneto as an infant. That's what it brought me back to as well. Yeah. I, I was right there too, because it's now it's just pattern. And I wonder if these are breadcrumbs that or, or seeds that are going to be sown later. And, and I'm just, I, it's, it's interesting to me because there's a lot of future X-Men stuff that I'm aware of happening, you know, age of apocalypse onslaught, all the stuff that was happening when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but I don't really know how we got to that point and what happened to spark those things. So I always just wonder in the back of my mind, are, are these things going to lead to a greater, you know, greater storyline down the road? I feel like they are maybe, maybe not as well received, but definitely a bigger story that's coming. And, and I used to, you know, when I was younger and I read them, I'm like, how did we get here? And now I'm rereading these as an adult. And I'm like, Holy crap, this was, this was either mapped out years in advance or, somebody came along after them and like changed whatever they were doing. Yeah. Either way, it was something along those lines. What I did find funny is that during the, the Opal Iceman stuff, Opal, after she's used as bait and she figures out what's going on and Iceman talks to her, she's like, um, so storm Cyclops and Xavier are busy, right? And they're not at the mansion. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, how did you know that? And she goes, because they'd never be this stupid to come up with this plan. And I'm like, you know, pretty accurate ice yeah. man doesn't think through what he's doing he puts it, his girlfriend in danger because why I, yeah i it's just hard hard for me because i i felt like that was i i very much enjoyed the storm and xavier part of the issue and could take or leave the bishop rogue Iceman part of it That's i know that kind of sets up the next one but i really and here's your surprise and uh, maybe not even foreshadowing just because i'm gonna say it i think <laughs> that 305 and 306 for me were probably my favorite issues of the reading that we did. Really? Yeah. And we can get to why later, but I think it just goes to show how fantastic Uncanny has been and has continued to be just because this gives more context to stories and backgrounds that we had heard before. Yeah. It's a testament to how Lobdell is writing it when he doesn't have to be a part of these big, huge events. He's able to do the little subtext and the little uh, character development pieces that are just... So, so above and beyond much of the other stuff that we're reading for this podcast. And it it really feels like it's close to home. Like this is stuff that is believable, relatable, and it's not just centered around action packed. You have it in there, but it's not the focus. St. Croix's backstory. Yeah. It's almost like a Claremont type thing Mm. because it's this person that we've, as far as I know, we don't really have any information of him before this. Same. And 
it's only one page of his backstory, but I felt so awful for this guy. Yeah. What he experienced. So for those of you who haven't read it, his wife, he and his wife get in a car crash. I think someone was drunk driving or something and hit them. And she is uh, about to die and he's screaming for help. And the, I guess there was like paramedics that are show up. But at that point, she actually turns and she starts to look less human and more of a mutant. Yeah, I didn't even, it looked like she turned into like half diamond or something. Yeah, so maybe she's related to Emma Frost or something. But uh, the, the ambulance, the, the EMTs or whatever, refuse to help her and transport her. So he picks her up and he tries to get her there himself and she ends up dying. It's literally one page. It's fleshed out very well and it felt Claremont-esque. Because Claremont mm-hmm. had a way of creating these characters that had a depth to them, but didn't last, and then they would get killed, or they would have something tragic happen to them, and you would you would you know feel for them like it would actually be impactful. And I've honestly thought about this for a long time that the good parts of Claremont's era was very George R. R. Martin. Mm, okay, because you never knew where he was going to go with it, and if he introduced a character that had a name that character probably isn't making it out. It's interesting. The point you're making about making these tertiary characters mean something because, and then he kills them off because it happens in three Oh six. And I know, (laughs) I know that there's backstory there for people that aren't me that, that didn't start reading here when we started the, the, the podcast started. Yeah. But, I, I think it's interesting because it's it rolls right into 306. Which starts with Archangel and Gene flying through the air towards his home, talking about his love for her and her friendly love for him. When they get to his home, he recalls the only woman who has ever loved him, Candy Southern. Uh, having been killed by Hodge a year ago, seconds later from the door, Candy appears. Later, Gene probes her mind, and she has the memories of Candy, even to the point of death and after. As Gene continues, a sci failsafe that was implanted and Candy goes off. It triggers the arrival or appearance of Hodge, who is mostly techno-organic now. It's revealed Candy has the TO now too, or techno-organic virus. Archangel wounds Hodge, and he starts to tap into Candy for parts. While joined together, she essentially goes into self-destruct mode. As they are both dying, Hodge explains there are scores like them, and they can uh, and that they compose as human. Meanwhile, Quicksilver battles Xavier in the Danger Room. Per Xavier's request, it's set to recreate the weightlessness of space. As they battle on, Xavier takes a cheap shot at Quicksilver by flinging debris in his eyes. He says Magneto won't play fair, so neither will he, and that Mags tried his way years ago, but now maybe it's time for him to try Magneto's way. Quicksilver calls him out on this, quote, are you willing to risk everything, your morals, your dream, in order to finally defeat my father? And then elsewhere, Storm meets Forge at a dinner club. He invited her there to mend fences and begin a friendship anew. So you mentioned the tertiary character thing. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you were talking about Candy Southern? Correct. Okay, so tell me what you thought about her appearance in this since you didn't have much backstory on her. Uh, I, so I think they do, again, a wonderful job. And I, I noticed you cleverly left out um, Mr. Summers apologist over here because I'm going to count Gene as part of a Summers. The whole um, <laughs> Archangel being in the friend zone discussion that they have like for the first 10 pages of the comic book. Uh, but for Candy, I think they do, they do a great job because of that relationship between Gene and, and Archangel. Uh, explaining who she was and and my, while it might have been a little ham-fisted that they're like hey we're talking oh now you're here somehow I, I thought that was kind of weird but it was it, it makes sense they had to do it to remind the readers or for new readers like me hey this is why candy southern is important 
Yeah, I, I guess what they could have done was have the, that part of the conversation take place in the air while they're flying. When they arrive, Candy's already there, and she makes the point, like, I've been waiting on you for weeks. Where have you been? Like, you haven't been home. Oh, yeah. that. So maybe that's what they were trying to do, because it just felt like we're, I, I thought they were already there. I didn't realize they were traveling to Denver. I don't know that they were. I think he was just flying around. But I'm just saying, like, if they would have done it in that manner, then it would have no, I like as- that. I like that way better. And if I <laughs> if I look at it through that lens, it works. Like yeah. if they, I just took it as, oh, Gene and Archangel are out for their flight. And why were they even? They, what did it explain why they were there? No, um, I think they were just hanging out because sometimes the O five will get together and do things. Like sometimes you'll see Beast with like say Iceman or whatever. Yeah. So well, did, was this Archangel Jean Grey love story? existing from the beginning forever okay so like so this plays into the gene you know leads everyone on kind of thing yeah except (laughs) back then a little less a little less overly done but uh, yeah i mean beast and cyclops and angel all were in love with her the only one that was less so or not really was iceman and there's a lot of stuff we'll get into iceman story stuff in future episodes Probably pretty soon. But uh, yeah, she and uh, an angel had like this little thing where he was really into her and she hung out with him. Like it was definitely looking back. It's totally friend zone. Mm -hmm. And Cyclops was all like, oh, she clearly likes Angel because she's always with Angel. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't she? He's beautiful and he has all this money and he's got wings and I can't even look at her in the face without blowing her head off. Like, (laughs) oh, man, you're really framing this up to feel bad for Cyclops. Cyclops. Let's all feel bad for the super powerful person who dates everyone that is uh, on the X-Men and has been the leader and is cool and ripped and muscular. Yeah, let's 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 feel bad for Cyclops here. Yeah, I I didn't feel bad for him back then. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel bad for him when people turn on him in the future. But so as somebody and I guess one of the reasons I connected with this comic was because of how it started. And as somebody who has been led on and someone who has led people on, because I feel like we've all been there. We've we've all done that and have been in that situation. It it led me to reflect on some of those scenarios. And I don't want anybody to be too hard to Gene because it's really too hard on Gene because it's really easy to be like, man, I can't believe you're friend zoning him. But to be fair, he was clearly, you know, just falling back into old habits because candy was dead. You know, I've been in a situation where I, you know, had some girl had broken up with me and I went back to my old haunts too, like people that I knew would give me attention, you know, but it may not have been good attention, you know, and, and that, I think that's what Archangel was doing here. They're, they are close friends, but he really was just looking for attention and affection. He was talking, talking about wanting a kiss, you know, you're like <laughs> almost like that. Oh, I was just joking about that. You know, like, you know how you've been in those situations where it's like, Hey, do you, uh, you want to give me a kiss? And she, she's like, no. And he's like, yeah, I was just kidding too. Anyway, it happens with Tiff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Except you married her. <laughs> so are you telling me you're friend zoned by your own wife? Totally. All the time. <laughs> Constantly. Okay. Well, revelations, we have, we revelations clearly, on X-Men. Clearly that's not true. We have a kid on the way. So that's true. That I think is mine. <laughs> hey, hey, everybody in the friend zone gets lucky once or three times. And just for the record, listeners, Brian has three kids, well, two kids and one on the way, two, on, two and one on the way. But to, I, I really love the way that you're framing that about that, because I didn't even like 
I have so much knowledge of what their relationship was like, so it didn't even bother me. I'm just like, oh, you're reminding people that he was in love with her and you're trying to find a way to bring up candy. What I do also, because I sometimes am a Summers apologist and Jean Grey is very important to the Summers family, she actually is pretty clear with him early on that she's not into him that way. Yeah. So like, I don't like holding each other while you're flying, going to like a secluded cabin. Like to me, it's like, it's hard to... Okay. Misinterpret that. Like it's, it's easy to misinterpret that. I'm not saying Archangel really thought anything of it, but you know, I think part of the reason, and I go back to, um, I I can't remember if you watched how I met your mother religiously. No, uh, there's an episode where you keep somebody on the line and like, right when they're about like a fish, like right when they're about to fall off, you pull the line. And it's just like, those kind of things have put me back in those places Mm. where situations where I've been the person on the line or the person that, and and it's not a malicious thing. It's genius wants her friend, you know? And, And that's why I tried to position ahead of this, that, I'm not trying to bash Gene here, even though that's the knee jerk reaction, <laughs> but uh, it just, it definitely, I think that's part of the reason I like 305 and 306 much because it connected with me on an emotional level and it, it told and some of this backstory that I'm not privy to. Like you, again, you just said, oh yeah, well, it, I've, I've read this before. I know their relationship, but to me it was like, okay, I, I don't. And, yeah. and it was good to see. They, he, he does a fantastic job in, in giving you a a brief summary of the history that these characters have had, whether it's with Candy or with Gene or in the previous issue with Storm and Xavier. So props to Libdell for continuing to be able to do that. And uh, also in this one, because I don't want to spend too much time on just the, the, the relationship of Archangel and Gene, but during that Candy stuff. So Cameron Hodge, Hodge was the guy who kind of founded X-Factor. Oh, really? I, so, I see. I remember, I think, his action figure, but I don't remember him much. So Hodge decided that uh, he hates mutants, decided that a long time ago, but he came up with this plan that he was going to enlist the original five X-Men to work together. And he pitched this idea that if you pose as a government group that's tracking down mutants, then people will call you so that you know when new ones are around and you can go and recruit them. So he pitched it in a way that they fell for it, and Angel was really close to him, like best friends. And Hodge is part of the reason why he lost his wings and everything. So he kind of hates Hodge. Yeah, sure. Clearly. Why wouldn't you? And Hodge the whole time was setting it up to actually hurt the mutant image and to actually capture mutants and all this stuff. So uh, so there was a lot of backstory there with, with Hodge and the O5, Gene and Archangel specifically. And the candy stuff, man, it's so powerful when you see through her eyes her death yeah because uh, gene taps into her mind to check her memories and you see the death and then you see when she wakes up again and the the scene where so archangel thought that uh, she was dead and she didn't see anything that happened afterwards and her eyes were just open but apparently she actually looks at him while he attacks hodge and that messed archangel up yeah and i love the way that it ended because as she's sacrificing herself I can't remember exactly what she says, but it's more or less like I looked at you because like you're what made me happy or something like that. So it, it totally changed the way in which he interpreted that scene. And that's just like every day you can go in these situations or scenarios and think that somebody is meaning one thing and it's clearly some or not clearly, but it's something different and you didn't pick up on it. Yeah. And, and candy was just, she wasn't candy, but she still had those feelings and she rips herself apart. <laughs> To the point where Jean turns off her nerves 
So she doesn't yeah. Yeah, like, like that. That's dark. It reminded me of the, one of the early issues that we read where she just shuts the person's mind down. Yeah. That was the Morlock, uh, Morlock issue. Yep. Yeah. That was, but I, overall three Oh five, three Oh six loved. And it's Ramita on this one. Yeah. Which, well, you know, I'm a sucker for Ramita. Yeah. So I was, I was in when I know, when I saw it was him. So now we're about to shift gears and talk about blood ties, but I do want to point out that, uh, these, like I said, three Oh five and three Oh six take place inside of fatal attraction. So it's before X-Men 25, but after uncanny 304. And one thing <laughs> that's a, uh, is a confusion. It's so confusing. It's totally confusing, but I do want to point out that we went from the one big event. Now we're going into another big event and there are some differences. So like blood ties is very straightforward. There's a beginning, middle and end, mm-hmm. and it's all building to the climax at the end. Whereas fatal attractions is chiastic. Yes. I don't know. Did you notice that when we were reading it? Yes. Okay. So for those of you who aren't aware, I'm, I'm, I would hope most of you know what chiasm is, but it's basically that the beginning and end part of a story are mirrors of each other and it points to the middle and the middle is the most important part. So with that being said, Uncanny 304 and X-Men 25 are without a doubt the most important parts of Fatal Attractions. And there were some some very noticeable uh, things that take place that point to that chiasm, but I did want to bring that up before we move on. Uh, and the blood ties actually picks up in Avengers, not in X-Men. Yes. So Avengers 368, having kidnapped Luna in Avengers 367, Fabian Cortez, former acolyte of Magneto, is now in, Geno- is in Genosha. He's basking in the burning riots that have been spurred on by Magneto's EMP in X-Men 25. And the humans of Genosha, fearing the mutants are going to start a revolution, it's chaos. Valerie Cooper sends Nick Fury and Henry Peter Gyrick to the Avengers to get their word they will stay out of Genosha. Henry Peter Gyrick, because he, he has to be called Henry Peter Gyrick, uh, talks U.S. agent into helping him, and they leave to recruit Xavier and Beast. Xavier telepathically alerts the X-Men to follow behind them, keeping it from Gyrick. At the Avengers Mansion, an imposter has been pretending to be Luna, and suicide bombs the place. With the child of one of their own in jeopardy, the Avengers suit up, ready to head to Genosha when they are attacked by S.H.I.E.L.D. The issue ends with Cortez issuing a warning that if the Genosian army doesn't lay down their weapons by morning, uh, his followers will start killing every human in the country. All right. So you clearly uh, liked 305 and 306 better. Correct. Based on what we were talking. And I wonder if you had had the history with the Avenger stuff going on, if that would have made a difference or not. Probably not because it's the character moments that you cared about. Yeah. So I, here, here's from a person that hasn't been reading Avengers who has read Avengers at different points in his life. Um, after the heroes were born or after onslaught when George Perez came and uh, I, I don't, I want to say maybe a 98, but it was after onslaught after the Avengers and everybody came back from whatever parallel universe they were. I, I read the Avengers religiously, so I, I do have some background from uh, in the Avengers, but not this far back. So okay. I think you're probably it's pro- probably part of it. But if I'm solely an X-Men reader, which is what I, what I have been at this point and because of the podcast, I I went into this being like, oh, I get the shitty Avengers. <laughs> like that was literally what I thought. I I, I really cause I got cap, sure, but there's there's all these different people. I like Black Knight, he's fine, but when I think Avengers, I don't think of War Machine. I think of Iron Man. Yeah. I don't I don't I think of Thor. I think of Incredible the, the Hulk. I, I know Black Widow's a part of the movie, but she's not p- part of one of those like the person that I think of 
when I think of the Avengers. I think about those core initial, you know, those initial few Hercules, you know, like people that are kind of tertiary. I I also think of Hawkeye. Hawkeye is kind of one of those unique people to me. And he was here, but you also had U.S. agent. Yeah. And and I, I get it. And I get that this was a crossover with the West Coast Avengers but to me, it just kind of felt like a cop out of a crossover and they just did it because the dates lined up and it was just because it's celebrating an anniversary, right? It's the 30th anniversary of both Avengers and X-Men. Right. So, so I think year. it was just like, oh, we have to bring them together. And was this, this is going to test your, your knowledge. It was Tony Stark. What was he doing? Was this during his alcoholism in the book? No. So a lot of times they'll leave out Avengers randomly. Just, just for fun. And it, this is the, the be... biggest, the crossover with the X-Men. And if I'm the Marvel editor, I'm like, okay, we need to get the X-Men are exploding. We need to recapture people and reinterest them in Avengers. And we're sending Circe and US agent and war machine. Yeah. And Hercules. Okay. Yeah. And crystal and crystal. Yeah. Crystal. Yeah. And, and, but crystal had a, had an important part of the story being Quicksilver's wife or estranged wife. But, and Luna's mother, but I'm just like, that was, that was why I think I'm just kind of like, okay, now I did particularly, the only thing I did like about USA agent was, uh, the way guy Rick spelled it one time where they spelled it. It was, (laughs) they, they type, they put together (laughs) the USA to make sure that everyone saw that it's USA, USA agent. Uh, and I just thought it was funny if his name was like USA gent, and like his his power was like being a gentleman everywhere. He's like, let me get that door for you, Magneto. So you know that's that's what I. It's when, the USA USA agent or USA gent. And when uh, USA gent pulls his cow off, it's Jarvis. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's who it would be. It'd be yeah. oh yes. Yeah. So, so that to, that was it. That was that was why I, I feel like I, I was underwhelmed from the beginning all the way through to the end. Aside from the the core the core characters and I don't want to spoil anything, but the core characters were really the only things that kept me invested in this. Now, what I will say is when we first started doing the podcast, I was well, very unaware of the fact that the Avengers of this are what the Avengers in the early to mid nineties were. Yeah. Same. So, so I was expecting when we first started the podcast to be talking about cap, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Hulk, you know, the core Avengers that mm-hmm. we think of, but I will say this, I've grown to love many of these Avengers. So I'm I'm actually a a fairly large fan of Black Knight. I really love what they're doing with Cersei and the Avengers line. Crystal, there were parts where I was, you know, starting to be a big fan of her, which is huge for me to say about an inhuman, but there have been some really bad downsides lately. However, I'm actually kind of vested in these, in these characters. So this didn't hit me as jarring as it did for you. So I was more invested in it from the get go because we've actually been building up this Luna stuff since Avengers 350, yeah, and, which and was I'm, 18 and, issues ago. And I'm sure there, there's context there that I'm missing <coughs> I, without a doubt. But I think that coupled with the fact that I think Fabian Cortez is kind of a farty villain. <laughs> I, it, it just kind of underwhelmed me because I, I get it. And I get that we're still picking up. This is like, coming off of the first issues of X-Men even, you know, like the first story arc that we reviewed. So I appreciate the continuity there, but I'm just like, Oh, Fabian Cortez again. And this is all about Magneto's family and Oh my God. And yeah. then, so it, I, I, I think those two things coupled really kind of put a damper on it for me. There were a, a ton of bright spots for sure. And, and I'll, I'll get to that, but it's mostly like little funny one-liners 
that really stood out to me more than anything. I, I get what you mean there. And, and I almost wonder if because it was the 30th anniversary of X-Men, if they were like, hey, you got to throw in as much Magneto storyline as you can. Yeah. Because it's a huge anniversary and it's a big deal. So you get all the stuff in X-Men 25. You even get the build up from like 297 or whatever it was up to 304. And then, you know, we saw like the one through three, a couple, like a year or two before this. But uh, so I wonder if that was it, like the, they were forced into using Magneto and his family yeah. into making it work, but uh, to know that they'd planted the seeds over the Luna thing. So in Avengers 350, Xavier and Cyclops actually visit Avengers mansion to give them a warning about Luna saying Ooh. like these acolytes are around. And so when they think Magneto is dead and they're like, Hey, Magneto's gone, but his acolytes are still around and she's a descendant. So she might be in jeopardy. Whether she ends up being human, they might want to kill her. And if she's a mutant, they might want to crown her. So it's kind of like this big, huge, ominous warning that we've been seeing little things, you know, trending inside of Avengers that like, ooh, is this going to be the time? Is this going to be the time? And now finally it's happened. And then to see that the imposter is a mutant who ends up being a suicide bomber. Right. Like it's 1993. What the crap? Yeah. They, I, I mean, you got to think though, uh, you're talking things like the, Israeli Palestinian, you know, things have been going on for decades upon decades. I mean, war was not something that was strange to the times back then. We were just blind to it as exactly. kids. So it's in, it's exactly it's like it's it, and same thing later on in the issues. They they mention concentration camps, yeah. and that's not something that we would have had any frame of reference on when the, these issues launched. So I, I, it, it's. It's not that I didn't think they were fine. It's just that I thought they were fine. Yeah. It, it's it's they they weren't terrible. It just was kind of like okay. I, I just think Fabian Cortez is kind of like the most create a wrestler or NPC character <laughs> ever. And I, and I do I do appreciate the fact that because on paper I like the idea of Magneto's incapacitated because Magneto can't always be there. He's the big bad. You have to build up to that. Any storyteller, like he's the climax. He's the crescendo. But and and so I do appreciate when you have these other acolytes here. And you know the thing that you just mentioned about like Xavier and uh, Cyclops going to the Avengers and being like, hey, the acolytes are around. They may kill her. They may crown her. I like that, that there's this constant threat of people loyal to Magneto. I just wish they were more interesting. Yeah. And you can't just have Cortez because everybody else that's loyal to Cortez is like the guy number five. We <laughs> like the, the, the mutants that they like threw together. It's like this is big nose guy. He has a nose and this is random lizard woman. And then the third or fourth or fifth incarnation of Wolfsbane's sister, you know, like those are the people that he has with him. And it's just like, I, I don't. I, nothing about you is interesting, bro. Well, it took me a minute at first because I, I was like, I thought all the acolytes abandoned Cortez and they did. Yeah. So the ones working with him, then it occurred to me, oh yeah. So in Genosha, the show was fairly accurate in that Genosha was a slave country or island or whatever. And the humans enslaved mutants and it was kind of not known. And then there was the big hold uprising where they were given freedom or whatever. And that took place in Extinction Agenda, which is actually what happens right before we started reading. Yeah. Literally. So this is a tie back just a couple of years in the comics. And so when I realized, oh, that's a, that's the Genosian slaves because of her outfit, you can kind of see. So it's the Genosian slaves or former slaves that have fallen in line with what Cortez is saying. So it made a little more sense for me, but I will say up front, I'm like, 
I thought all the accolades stopped following him, but I just wanted to throw that out there in case. Yeah, and, and I think how we're discussing this, and I think that this is the danger of discussing it this way, is that we're almost, I'm trying to not, I'm actively stopping myself from lumping all the issues together. Yeah. Because I, I, I find myself when we're talking about it, I like it better when I'm discussing it as a whole story and not so much the individual pieces because like with the individual pieces, when I was reading it, I mean, the things that I had written down in my notes was gambit wanted to touch rogue wants to touch rogue so bad. He gets jealous of lasers that the Iceman is reflecting at her at her butt. And he's like, that's my territory. Mesa me. And like, I just like, you know, I love, I love gambit too. So, it, but I just was like these little funny things. And I also liked rogue standing up for herself being like, I'm nobody's territory. Like it, it's, shocking how forward thinking X-Men is and like to be aware of like feminist undertones and you know, like that, that's, that's crazy to think that, that we're, we're struggling with this today in media (laughs) and they had it right in a comic book when comic books wouldn't, weren't taken seriously. Yeah. So what's funny is like how creepy gamut comes off in that. And I I, I love that rogue, you know, shoots him down real quick about it. But one of one of the fans of the show, Trent Seeley, he had some concerns about your feelings regarding Gambit uh, after Fatal Attractions and that uh, he felt that most people found Gambit to be creepy, not sexy. Well, we actually were able to pose this question to editor-in-chief for X-Men, yes. Jordan D. White, uh, through adventuresinpoortaste.com. I feel like that's a really solid comic book website. If you guys aren't checking it out, it's AIPT. I would highly recommend it, but they have an X-Men Monday where they sit down with Jordan White every single Monday and they ask him some questions and they actually asked ours this time. And uh, we, we posed the question, who, who is canonically sexier, Gambit or Cyclops? And Jordan said this, Gambit, come on, look, that is not an insult to Cyclops. He's a good looking man. And as we've covered in depth, he has no problem attracting women, but Gambit is Gambit. Sexy is a superpower. Besides Cyclops is a long-term relationship guy, a serial monogamist. Gambit is a one night stand. He's all sex, no commitment. Sorry, rogue. You know, it's true. Keep your eye on that one. So there you have it. According to the editor for X-Men, Gambit is sexier than Cyclops. I'm not, I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I promise you. I promise you I'm not, but there you have it. The truth, the truth will always come out. Brian, you Cyclops apologist, you. I love me some 21st century Cyclops. However, I don't know that I ever said he was sexier than Gambit. I, I don't know, man. I don't, you, I don't know you, that you I make ever some claims. That. I could say anything <laughs> about Cyclops and you'll be like, well, yeah. Cyclops has to wear a visor. Exactly. Well, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's not a visor. It's a ruby. Qu- it's a ruby quartz <laughs> ocular amplifier. That's what it would. That's what you would say. You love. I love that you're laughing because you know it's true. Be like, how come Cyclops doesn't have to touch the visor for it to open and shoot? He's he's a button on his glove. <laughs> it's it's literally in the back of a comic. There's a button in his glove. Anyway, yeah. let's let's move on. Let's move so, on because we're gonna like I, this is. We could do a whole episode. <laughs> just up like a debate and one day we will have a cyclops versus well, Gambit what debate. i would love to do one day is to have an avengers versus x-men episode yes and you take one side i take the other yep and we debate who is right and someone like matt or someone else from the podcast is on didn't read it and we have to convince them why our side was right okay i'm down you know i'm down 
All right. X-Men 26, Fabian Cortez gives a televised speech in the X-Men note that he seems to be oblivious to the fact that Magneto is incapacitated. They intend to use that as an advantage. They work their way to Hammer Bay of Genosha and are confronted by a group of Cortezes. They're known as the Unforgiven. Through dialogue with them, the X-Men inadvertently tip them off that Magneto isn't coming. Unfortunately, Cortez was there too and heard it. Meanwhile, Xavier and Beast are traveling in an envoy with Gyrick and several others when it's attacked by the bar bipartisan rebel battalion it was planned by xavier and he and beach joined the battalion as the envoy they were with were knocked out besides u.s agent who is hiding under the truck of the battalion elsewhere the avengers continue their battle with shield and several of them create a distraction allowing crystal scarlet witch cersei captain america war machine and black knight to escape they later arrive at genosha and break up a fight between humans and mutants only to have the humans burned to the bone by exodus all right we get a little bit of Exodus here. This, yeah, this might have been my favorite uh, issue uh, aside from the finale. Uh, and it's a little bit because of the cheesy 90s movie action movies taglines of Gambit, like holding up a cart and going, the X-Men are going into fight with aces up our sleeves. I'm like, yes, yes. Give me, give me some of that Gambit and less creepy hitting on rogue Gambit every time. But the big thing that stuck out to me was Colossus and he was only in it for like two seconds mm. and it really pained me. And I, I just keep reflecting on what you said um, who uh, about Adam being on the show. And uh, this was a thing even before he was on the show about Colossus being his favorite. And I know I said this last episode, but again, I'm, I'm st- struck by Colossus for the two seconds. He's in the storyline because he's, he almost is like a man with no home anymore because he, it, it's like, he's not useful anywhere. Exodus still doesn't see him separate from Xavier's beliefs. You know, Colossus was wanting to believe in this utopia and he wanted to put his hands and his farming skills and all this different things to work in building this utopia for mutants and freaking Exodus can't separate him from that. Like pacifism. Is that how you say it? I can't say pacifism. Pacifism is not something professor Xavier came up with, but Exodus can't see the forest for the trees. And I, I, the fact that Colossus gets sent out of the room like a puppy and just so Exodus can talk to Magneto. But I also wonder how much it is Exodus can't separate him from that or Colossus can't separate himself from that dream. Uh, and I that's mean, why Exodus is resistant. That's a really good point. I mean, that's a that's a really good point I hadn't thought of. I had never considered it until we were talking. Well, but I like that point and I'm going to say that's what it is. That's what you were thinking of from the beginning. <laughs> that's what that there Nakunza said. <laughs> <laughs> no one no, no one gets that joke yet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll get it later but uh yeah i i think it's it speaks volumes to you as a reader that that is the part that hit you the most because it is such a brief part but it is so much about character yeah and and i think that's amazing and it's the stuff that i love too and i almost made note of it simply because it was so powerful to me but it didn't seem like it fit perfectly with the story so I didn't know how to bring it up without, you know, kind of side sideswiping or, or underselling some of the the stuff that pushes the story forward. Yeah, well, that's that's I guess that's my point is that I don't. This is all the all the issues are pushing the story forward. Like when does the story happen? It like happens kind of all at once. And it, what is the six issues? Is Bloodline six issues? Uh, I think it's five. five. So I feel like it's three issues of build 
and then like or three and a half issues of build and like one and a half of payoff and then immediately oh so it's over so i and, so and that, season five of game of thrones exactly and that was my problem with some of the other events that we've we've covered uh in uh, over the course of this uh and i think it, if we go back to um the what was uh colossus's brother Mikhail. Mikhail. That that whole storyline where they go to this other else world and it feels like it's just rushed. It's like, oh, here's the here's the final battle. Like it's do I really I I get there's a lot of philosophy and current event stuff because they even like talk about like civil wars that were going on at the time uh, and uh, with Genosha as the backdrop instead. And, and I get a lot of it's supposed to be a social commentary, but I don't really need the well, we're driving in this jeep when we're on boys and we're gonna go seek these people out I, I, I guess to me it just felt like a whole lot of overselling the the importance and and the backdrop and like here we're gonna set the stage and it's okay the stage is set yeah but look at that plant over there <laughs> and also there's a, a river there and these particular bad guys are the unforgiven and the next issue you're gonna learn of the magistrate elite and then we've got the bipartisan rebel battalion that really doesn't do anything and for the love of god i had no idea revanche was a part of this until they said her name like same. four issues same. Thing. i felt the same way i was like where did she i i, I legitimately thought because I, I was reading it while i was eating lunch and i was like Okay, I must have missed. I, I must have fallen asleep or like I spilled a drop of soup on my phone screen or something because like now here she is out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I got that vibe a lot in this where things just didn't necessarily make sense. So a lot of times we talk and we'll say during these events, there's some tie in or crossover that fills in these little gaps that, yeah. that are there. This was straight up just these five issues and those gaps are just those gaps. Yeah. Like, like, so in this one, we'll get into it here in a minute, but a U.S. agent is underneath of the envoy. So it's like he, he's sneaking, following Xavier and beast. And then as soon as we see him again, they're like sneaking through tunnels and Xavier's like, I'm glad you hitched a ride with us. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess Xavier would be aware, but that also is like, speaks to like how is us agent, like thinking that he can sneak up on a telepath who's like actively sending signals. Like, Oh, I need to make sure there's no one around us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Us agent is underneath the car. Like <laughs> if you're the us agent, wouldn't you be like, mm, professor Xavier is going to know I'm here. So like you would think, like, I, I don't know again. Oh, we get knock we get captain america and also knock off captain america west coast captain america yeah. great west, west coast cap well speaking of west coast yeah well i two things i do want to talk about on this one and then we will get into yeah. west coast so i praise cubert all the time but dude come on fury's head on page nine looks identical to gambit it does like it really does i looked at it like five times i'm like why is gambit involved here it's the other thing i don't think i was really impressed by a lot of the art not, i'm not saying it was again it was fine yeah, it, to me. It wasn't up to the level that we've seen before. Correct. Uh, and then the other thing, so Black Knight or Dane stabs Fury in the back with his Neuroblade. Um, he he's even makes the comment that Fury will be up uh, and around in a few minutes. Felt like that was foreshadowing for what happens towards the end. And Cap questions if he killed him. I think this is a subtle nod to him potentially losing his mind as a Ganjosen. So mm-hmm. in the Avengers line, Black Knight and Cersei have become linked uh, mentally. It's called the Ganjosen, and it's for the Eternals. So the Eternals will have somebody that they will link up mentally with to help them refrain from losing their minds because the Celestials basically took humans, gave them powers, 
and extended their life to near or immortality, but the brain itself was kind of the same. So it's like it can't handle all of that and mm. eventually will snap and lose its mind. So if they link up with someone else, they're able to kind of keep them in check. And Dane is that for Cersei right now. So I felt like Cap questioning that was about that and also uh, an Operation Galactic Storm throwback. So uh, West Coast Avengers 101. The UN Security Council holds an emergency session to have a conversation with Hawkeye and several other Avengers regarding their response to S.H.I.E.L.D. and potential involvement in Genosha. Hawkeye throws out the ultimatum. Do we go to Genosha with your blessing or do we scrap our UN charter? Back in Genosha, Exodus asks if Cap and his group are there to help mutates or not. With the answer being no, Exodus begins to fight them. War Machine takes him to the air to battle while Cap and the rest deal with stopping mutants and non-mutants from killing each other in the streets. Uh, Crystal and Scarlet Witch leave both battles and search for Luna. Later, we see Exodus uses psi powers and uh, on War Machine and leave him falling to his doom as Cersei appears in the air ready to throw down. In the tunnels beneath the streets, Xavier, U.S. agent, and Beast find hundreds of mutants being held captive by the magistrate elite. Elsewhere, the X-Men battle the Unforgiven, as seen in previous issue. After winning the battle, Jean gets a mental lock on Luna, and Cyclops and Bishop confront Cortez, only to learn that it was a shape-changer and not Cortez. It just it just feels like they they there's just so much stuff. Like, it's just filler, and not in the fun way. Like, not in the, yeah. oh, we're having the X-Men basketball tournament. It's it's filler for the, like, t- to advance the story, but, again, with all these characters that, that don't matter. Like, like I, I said the Magistrate Elite because I wrote that down because I was like, that is the dumbest name I've ever heard of. And, and I, again, the things that, that, that stuck out to me here are just the funny quips. And the, the first thing was, again, Gambit, but it's not just Gambit, it's Gambit and Rogue. And I, and I really have a question for you because <laughs> I need to know if this is what I think it's about. And I don't remember exact context, but I wrote it down and I snapshotted it, and, but I don't remember the context. Gambit says, the South gonna rise again, huh, to, to Rogue. And Rogue goes, promises, promise, promises. Well, we better get back to work. And I feel like they're talking about sex. Or, well, or when he says the South is going to rise again, and is he like talking about boners? Like that's what it feels like. So probably, yeah. That's like probably what he's it was out about. of place. However, however, canonically speaking, they do not have sex until like three forty-eight or somewhere around there. <laughs> that was the, that was the nerdiest <laughs> thing you've ever you've ever said. That was canonically speaking, they don't have sex. What? What even am I doing here? Yeah, why oh are you gosh. on this podcast? Oh my gosh, I, mean, come I, on, I love dude. you so much, though. <laughs> Uh, but I, I guess th- this just goes to my point where, uh, again, it's a quip, but it felt so out of place is why it jumped out at me you, in, well, in an issue well, where we talk about concentration camps for mutants and all these other things you're throwing in like, well, you know, boners rogue, uh, <laughs> but also let's get back to the plight of a race of superhumans. Uh, on the side oh but also a kid a kid is kidnapped and there's a madman running around with it you know who uh, but boners well at the same time though we're dealing with a situation that is all about slavery mutant slavery and we've got a south gonna rise again which is a clear nod to confederacy sure but like it's but in context yeah it does definitely sound like gambit is talking about arousal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, but that that's the thing it's like this again wasn't just another it's just was another issue of let's talk more and you can start to see the central this is where you start to see the central 
like not theme, but like storyline take start to take place because the different groups start to branch off Scarlet, Witch, all these people that are close to Magneto or have some tie to Magneto are barreling towards each other. And that's where it starts to become clear. Like this is the final showdown or so it seems. Yeah. I, and to your point a minute ago, when you were talking about filler, this is stretched out over five issues and normally what you see in these events is they'll stretch it out to get a certain amount between each different franchise or series that's going on. What's odd here is the only one that gets two is the Avengers line itself. So they could have easily made it four issues and just only done one Avengers line. Yeah. So I don't understand or even use the first Avengers one to be like a, a prologue. I, know, I noticed that too. And that's kind of where I was like, man, this is very Avengers. It was very Avengers heavy. It, it really did feel like the X-Men were just there. And, and again, maybe that's another reason I didn't like it. Cause even though there was a, a very clear X-Men tie, it was just the fact that Mag- Magneto is the X-Men tie, all of the, and, and Fabian Cortez uh, and really everything else. All of the main players were Avengers, even though Quicksilver has been moonlighting in X-Men. Yeah. Like everybody was like traditional Avengers. Yep. And I don't really have a whole lot more to say about that issue itself. Other than I think the battle between Exodus and War machine is probably my favorite battle in the arc. Uh, yeah, I, but I can't, again, <laughs> it's, it's, it it's, could have been it's, Iron war, Man. it's war machine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It could have been Iron Man and it would have had more teeth because I have nothing against War Machine, but if you're going to have Exodus and you want to show Exodus in this light of like, he's the up and coming, you know, BA next gen villain and you have him defeat War Machine who puts up a great fight. It would have had more impact if you defeat Iron Man. And maybe that's why they chose War Machine because they didn't want to yeah, that, that. that's something that happens in wrestling too, where you protect your main draws, but that's just, a, I, I don't, you can't, you can only do that for so long and I'm not going to be interested in that. Yeah. Well, clearly you weren't And uncanny 307. It picks up with the U S agent Z- Xavier and beast battling the magistrate elite while trying to protect the captive mutants. Xavier mentally blasts the elite to give beast and agent the advantage Two others that are there with them. One being miss ransom, I think is her name pick up on the fact Xavier is a mutant. Meanwhile, Exodus and Cersei have an intense battle with Exodus, ultimately winning and causing a huge explosion. He then flies away. Elsewhere, Black Widow addresses the UN. She mentions how they went from aligning themselves with the U.S. government and then the UN thinking it would facilitate their efforts. However, doing the right thing isn't always easy and that the Avengers are out of politics now. Back in Genosha, Gene and Quicksilver separated themselves from the rest of the X-Men to track down Luna. Uh, beneath its capital, they break through and find Crystal and Scarlet Witch. Then Cortez comes out of nowhere holding Luna, threatening to kill her. He says he needs their help. He's afraid for his life because of what he did to Magneto. Exodus arrives on the scene, and that's when Cortez explains it's their help in destroying ex- Exodus that he needs. Okay. So, again, you mentioned three and a half of filler, and then one and a half of the real deal. Yep. This starts the real deal. This starts the real deal. Yeah. And I think that I like this part, but it just is just, it's too much. I feel like if you do cut out that, that extra Avengers issue that you talk about, I, I would have been fine. And my, my opinion would be different, but this is for me, it, again, it's that last half of, of this issue that really is like, okay, stuff's hitting the fan now. And we're, we're starting to get a bitter, bigger picture of what's going on. I, I, I wrote Cortez is a coward because 
here is where it starts to amp up. You know, if you're using a child as a human shield, yeah, that's where I start to care about Cortez, but it could have been Joe Johnson or Ed Shireen. And I would have been fine or Ed Sharon, whoever, however the heck you I don't know. It's spelled like Shireen. Yeah. Ed Sharon. It's Ed Sharon. It it, it doesn't matter. My point is it doesn't matter who it is. If you're using a child, as a human shield, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to inflame me. I'm going to be mad and I'm not going to like you. But before I just spent four issues, not caring who you were. So there's, there's none of that subtext there. Yeah. And what's, what's kind of interesting is that Gene is a part of this. Yeah. So you have crystal and quicksilver, the father and mother and Scarlet, Witch, the aunt yep. of Luna. So I don't understand Gene's connection here other than they needed someone from the X-Men and she seems to fit the bill a little bit more motherly maybe, or like being a telepath, she's able to connect. I don't know. I don't really know why they chose Jean in this scenario. I almost think like they needed somebody that you knew had power enough, enough power. Cause at this point you didn't have Scarlet, Witch being like, I can, did Scarlet, Witch become an Omega mutant or I, something. I don't know. She's technically not even a mutant. Yeah. Well, it's just one of those things where uh, that, that was the other question. I had. There's so many different weird things that with Avengers, but it's like Scarlet, Witch, like to my knowledge now past house of M and all that other things, which I, I never read. I just know about, uh, is that she's this all powerful being. And it's hard for me to be like, uh, okay, what, what, what did you do here? Just like shoot pink stuff out of your she mind? She had like hex powers. Yeah. So she could impact probability and some other magical stuff. She later gets like, it's less about control for her. Like she's not able to control how deadly some of it can be. She just later, realizes the extent of her power. Later, she kind of grows into it. And I think, okay. I think strange even helps her for a while. Okay. Well, I with think, the hex stuff, that makes sense. I think, but uh, yeah, so what I, I think of the five, this was probably my favorite. Okay. Of the five blood ties issues, okay. not of what we read, but of the five blood ties. And I think it's like the, I felt like there were more character moments in this. So, like on page 11, when Cyclops and the team find the slaughtered humans. Yeah. Gosh, that was a powerful one pager. For how little that team is actually involved in this, there was so much emotion and weight put on that one scene. And then uh, Crystal and Quicksilver's conversation on page 16, where they're talking about working together. And then he mentions something to her and she finishes the line where it's like acting like a family. family. Yeah. That was powerful too. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Especially good writing. I mean, that's good. Like again, yeah. I don't know who Crystal is really. I know who she is, but I don't know what makes her tick, but it's a human <laughs> which is funny on a, a thing about me it's a human interaction, you know, where you are like, man, yeah, we're a family. Like I've never been estranged from my family, but the, the fact of the matter is, is I can be empathetic to that. And it's such a human conversation that, that takes place uh, that I could see, see myself in, uh, put myself in Quicksilver shoes. Yeah. And so like with Quicksilver, what you might not know is that uh, crystal, had uh, an affair on him Ooh, um, a while not know back. That. And so they're separated over that. And she's been trying for a while to mend that, that broken relationship. Who'd she have an affair with some random Joe Schmo? Oh, it wasn't even somebody cool. No. Okay. Well. And then, so in the process of her trying to, to reconcile or fix it or be what she needs to be to help, you know, bring the family back together. Quicksilver has been very 
adamant, like, I need space, I need time, I don't know if I can do this. Like, he still kind of wants to, but he's been pushing her off a little bit. And during that, she's gravitated towards Black Knight. So, like, she okay. and Dane have been starting to have uh, feelings for each other. So, I, I caught those undertones at the end of the epi- <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the issues. I always want to call it an episode. I caught I caught that. But yeah. I wasn't for sure if it was just like weird writing or what. No, it's it's about the Avengers line that's going on. And, and I actually talk about how I didn't like what they were doing in Avengers because they were almost glorifying infidelity. Gotcha. Well, so, yeah, I think he does. Uh, I'll save this to the end so we can talk. Let me just put a pin in that uh, about what I'm talking about because there's so much more that happens and I don't want to spoil it, but it's an interaction Black Knight has with Crystal at the end a quick crystal and quicksilver and it, it maybe it's just really good writing because it felt awkward and i <laughs> thought it was bad writing but it like it actually is really good writing now that i know that there's something there now i just want to talk about it yeah well, well we'll get right to that in just a second i do want to talk about though that we had mentioned the war machine and exodus fight the fact that exodus is able to beat cersei is insane cersei is one of the most powerful avengers at that point so the fact that he's able to take her out is just an indication of how powerful Exodus is. I'm going to have to learn more about the Eternals because I, I gathered that that was a, a really cool battle too. And I, and I felt that there was some weight despite not knowing who Cersei was really. I, I felt the weight behind that battle and the fact that she was going to toe to toe with Exodus. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, and again, she's Black Knight's Ganjosen or he's her Ganjosen. So she's in love with him and he's in love with Crystal and Crystal's separated for from her husband it's all drama over in avengers speaking of avengers in 369 what appears to be an energy dome appears around genosha causing planes to crash into the water exodus beneath the streets mentally forces cortez to hand him luna then despite gene's best efforts to stop him exodus kills cortez thank you exodus yes on the surface the x-men rescue the government leaders of genosha despite them being human the avengers arrive and they decide to work together war machine and storm investigate the dome after war machine tries to blast it Storm's suspicions are confirmed it's a concentrated telekinetic manifestation which we later learn is getting smaller and going to crush all of genosha xavier and his crew and the rest of the captain mutants are now pinned down by the reinforcements from the magistrates xavier summons the x-men for help they and the avengers arrive and save them later on the streets exodus arrives holding luna and having gene quicksilver scarlet witch and crystal standing with him i guess he's mind controlling them at that point yeah that's how i took it yeah with exodus in front of them the team split one team to deal with the crowd and one to fight exodus they use exodus's immaturity and arrogance against him as the team attacks him he pays no mind to the human with an energy sword black knight sneaking up behind him with xavier's help he's able to get a clean shot and slices exodus in the back that's the foreshadowing i was talking about with with fury Black Knight grabs Luna, and moments later, a wounded and fleeing Exodus blasts the son of Magneto, uh, you know, Quicksilver. Black Knight performs CPR and saves him. And then there's an epilogue with Xavier and Cap bonding when Miss Ransom approaches. She calls out Xavier on being a hypocrite for concealing to the world that he's a mutant when he advocates mutant and human peace. Xavier reflects on if he should continue doing so. See, Uh, I'm, I'm realizing I'm like the worst person to have on a podcast with you because I want to not talk about the epic battle against Exodus. And I just want to talk about the human relationships and the, the, the awkwardness of that last part after Quicksilver receives CPR from black Knight. Well, let's talk that because honestly the battles are all battles. Like, yeah. They can be well drawn. They can be interesting, 
but the stuff that sticks, the stuff that you remember might be one pager or whatever inside of a battle, but really what you're going to remember are the human elements. And that's what ties all the extra stories or all the future stories together in the past and everything. So let's talk that you, you re- you really piqued my interest because before it was just kind of like a throwaway thing that I, I wasn't even going to mention because the last note that I wrote was I kind of like black Knight, even though I, <laughs> he's kind of like a throwaway, like he's been a throwaway Avenger to me for, however long right but the the they do a great job of reflecting the awkwardness because they you have this at least the the telltale signs of an affair or like leading up to an an affair between crystal and black knight that i didn't know about and then black knight's the one the person that saves her husband who at this point had been estranged and at this point if he died the black knight would by like by default get crystal right would that he would be out of the way that would pave the way for black knight and crystal's relationship which he probably wants he saves quicksilver and at the end you're left with this really awkward moment that now that i know that there was something behind there i really feel like the hey thanks friend well, that's what friends are for. <laughs> and I was like, this is weird. You know, Crystal's like, thank you, Black Knight. And Crystal's like, yeah. or Black Knight's like, yeah, that's, that's what friends are for. Literally, that's what he says. That's what <laughs> friends are for. And I, I remember being like, okay. But now it's just this wonderful little, just granular bit of storyline to me that I know that now. And it's a shame that we there were no other undertones. Why did we spend all this time on a Jeep meeting all these characters. No one's going to care about 20 years from when this was written and instead not reflect on black Knight and crystals relationship. Like, Mm. like why don't we get any of that subtext as an X-Men reader? It's the same thing that I was saying earlier about the, uh, the Avengers like you, Hey, we want people to read the Avengers. Same thing here. If I knew that was going on, maybe that would lead me to, to want to read the Avengers. I'm much more interested in that now much more interesting <laughs> yeah just a couple of thought bubbles even like where she's reflecting on it like hey you know this puts the family in perspective what's yeah. going on with luna and i don't know that i can carry on with my feelings for dane or whatever it wouldn't have to it wouldn't have to be much it's like how are you, like them doubling back quicksilver was somewhere else right he already was them doubling back and he's like are you okay I know this is, you know, whatever it could, it, it wouldn't have had to be much. Yeah. But if it was a little more than even just the thought bubbles, I could have done way more with that than like all this other random stuff that, that was just there to make the situation seem more dire. <laughs> well, to you, to what you were talking about earlier at the end, when he does the CPR on Quicksilver, what I mentally noted was that he's, he's uh, performing the CPR on him. And he's telling him to breathe, breathe, come on, do it, breathe. And then he just wipes his mouth and he says, blast you. Huh. And like, I didn't pick that up. Yeah. And so when you're reading that page, oh, I did, but I just thought he was like, like pull through, dang it. Yeah. You know, like that's what I took it as. That's kind of what I think they're trying to make you think. But immediately after that, he's no longer performing CPR anymore. And the very next shot is Quicksilver talking. Hmm. So it's like, he knows at that moment Quicksilver is back and he's like, he says blast it. Cause he saved him. Yeah. Huh. It's like this, like, gosh, I wish I could have been trying this and you still didn't make it. See, this is why I read comics. This is why I read comics and I don't get enough of this. There's not enough of this, at least during this time in comics. 
Yeah. It, it just, it's, I'm frustrated that I didn't get to feel this when I was reading it. Like I'm, this is a genuine reaction in the moment to knowing about their relationship. How, how the UN stuff with Hawkeye <laughs> and black widow. I don't care. I don't need that. Like it was definitely political grandstanding it, whether or not I agree with it. It was just like, you know, we need to make sure that people know where we stand on this. Yeah. I, and a lot of times I can appreciate that comics will call out things like they were calling out what was going on with the UN and Bosnia and Sarajevo yes, yes. at the time. So I'm totally cool with, with comics being able to do that Same. or add some type of depth. But to your point, it really doesn't matter in the context of this story. Now, I think what it does is it sets up something interesting in the future Avengers story where they're now no longer tied to the UN because Black Widow effectively ends their relationship with the UN. But as was far that as only the Avengers or West Coast Avengers, I think it was both because it was okay. both charters. So Black Widow represents the, I guess you'd call it East Coast Avengers, even yeah. though that's not what they're called. And Hawkeye represents the West Coast, the Avengers and Avengers Wolfpack. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think it's it's potentially setting up some interesting there, things there, but that almost could have been a reaction to everything that happened, and it could have been a three pages in the next Avengers episode yeah. issue. Yeah, and what, you could have left it out of this it, story completely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it now I, I like it more, but I'm more frustrated that I like it. <laughs> it's just it's, it's frustrating. It just because the potential for greater storytelling is there that they've laid the groundwork. What I, what I love though is that you went heavy into the Dane and Quicksilver and Luna and crystal stuff, because that was one of the only things I wanted to talk about from that issue. I wrote like what three notes, three bullet points from this issue. One was about the art and then that one, yeah, because that's where I wanted to spend most of my time talking. So I'm glad you felt the same when you learned the context. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Overall themes on this arc was, you know, race warring slavery, civil war between the country and then the real life call out on the UN. I mean, that's what it felt like to me, what they were trying to get at yeah, same. through all of it. Same. And it felt a little cluttered and chaotic because of my, my experience with Avengers uh, right now. I lean heavy in saying that I would probably give this probably an eight on our rating scale. Okay. So when you think about our rating scale, for those, if this is your first episode, one to three is ban, four to seven is borrow, and then eight to 10 is buy it. I feel like if you are a fan of the Avengers team from that era, then you should own this. I feel like if you're a fan of the X-Men from that era, you should probably own it. Um, I mm. own the X-Men pieces, so I think I would land at an eight. But again, it's on the the precipice that I actually have read the Avengers stuff going into this, and it felt like a big coalescence, at least in the last two issues, where there was some payoff to that, even if the the stuff getting there was a little clunky. It excluding 305 and 306 we'll get to those in a second but okay so this is just blood ties correct yep. uh it's it's a borrow it for me it's the first borrow it i've done um i would say given the i'm gonna be a little bit nicer than i was originally because of the information you've provided me has shown me that it's much it's a much better story I, i'm taking your your sage wisdom because you've read both <laughs> things and and factoring that into my rating. So I'm saying six or seven. Uh, I, I would probably say six because if you rated it an eight and you liked it better than me, I don't want to be right next to you. I want to be, I want, because you, I want to be a six. Yeah. I, I thought as I was writing that, that you should probably fall to six yeah. based on the way that we've talked. Same. That felt an accurate representation. Now, 305 and 306, 
it's tough for me. I think 306 is the the issue I liked the most from what we read, but I don't know how I feel about the lead-in with 305. So I think for that one, I probably land at a seven. So borrow it for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm eight. I think that I'm the opposite of you. I think if you're an X-Men fan, you, this is part of the story. Blood, blood ties is like, can be a footnote. So That's, yeah. Oh, Hey, yeah. This next time it's like, yeah, with Cortez dead uh, and there <laughs> happens in blood ties and you can go look at it, these issues editor, you know, like I, I feel like that it, it fleshes the characters out more. So I, I'm at an eight. I definitely don't think it's as good as fatal attractions as we both gave it a perfect score. Yeah. Uh, but if we're going to say, Hey, buy it, I think just where, and if I could go issue by issue, I would say buy the one X, the X-Men issues in blood ties just because you need it in your collection. But as a whole, I don't think blood ties is something you need to own. It's not a must own. If you're an X-Men fan, you need to own the stuff because it makes you appreciate the characters more. Yeah. and as we've talked, like I said, I gave it an eight. I think that's more from the Avengers stance than the X-Men stance. And that's, and I guess that's the best place to, you know, let the dust settle because I think it really to enjoy this as much as you did and as much as you can, you need to be reading the Avengers. Oh, you, for sure. you, you just need to be. Yep, for sure. So pre, in some episodes, we have a second opinion piece. If you'd like to be a part of the second opinion piece and provide your thoughts on what it is that we're covering, uh, please check out marvelmythos.com for a full list of upcoming episodes. It lets you know what we're covering. We usually record about two weeks in advance. So if you reach out to me on uh, through email at marvelmythospodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at marvel underscore mythos or on Twitter at marvelmythospod and provide your thoughts on whatever it is that you would like to be a part of, then we will do our best to incorporate that into our episode. And uh, for those of you who are paying attention, if we're doing X-Men, that means Spider-Man is next. And next week we're covering the amazing Spider-Man 386 to 388. We'll see you next time. So, we don't have to spend much time on Uncanny 305 and 306. Oh, um, Didn't read those? No, I did. <laughs> uh, but we need, to, we need to talk about Fabian. Okay. Nisietza. Uh-huh. Do you mm-hmm. want to say his name yet? No, we don't. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's I'm, right. I'm pretty sure it was you that botched it, and I, I was fine. No. <laughs> Look, it's a, how, do you say, how are you saying it? I thought it was Nisietza. Nisietza. Are you looking Nisi-a-za? at his Twitter right now? Aza, which language? Because he puts it in three yeah. different languages. Nakunza in American. I don't think it's Nakunza in America. It's- it says Nakunza in in American. Nisi Esa <laughs> in Spanish. We should be recording this because this is we, it's uh, Nakunza. Nakunza. Nakunza in American. Are you so sure? I, think, I almost feel like that one's sarcasm. Yeah, Nakunza. Yeah. Well, me too, but I, I want to say it. So in Spanish, Nisieza. 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 Well, let's break it down. Like, Nisieza. If it's English, it's Nisieza. I's in Spanish is E, and A, E's in Spanish is A. So it's Nisieza. 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 In English, Nisieza. Same thing. So Nisieza. Nisieza. Nisieza Spanish. Nisieza. <laughs>
And then it's the, English. The American, American isn't a language, so I think the last one is a joke. Hey, but I'm gonna so. say I'm gonna call it Nakunza. <laughs> it's listed on your Twitter there, Mr. Nakunza. 